Leads, leads, leads. What is happening? Welcome to Working Hours, a show about a place called Leeds, a time called now, and an activity called work. I want to speak to 1,000 loiners over the course of what I vaingloriously believe is the most important decade in the history of the human species, and I want to ask those loiners about what they do all day and hear how they feel about it all. My name is Simon, and this is all my fault. What did you want to be when you grew up? Um, so, there were many, many things I wanted to be when I grew up. I went through all sorts of different jobs. At one point, I wanted to be an actress. Then I decided I wanted to be a police officer. Then I decided the main one for a long time was that I wanted to be a journalist, and not just any journalist. I basically wanted to be Kate Adie. Yeah. Like, yeah. I thought she was so cool. And looking back now, and I think, she was such a good role model. Like, mm. there weren't that many women in jobs like that, but there she was with a, you know, with a little bulletproof vest on and like <laughs> out there, yeah. you know. And I, I think I used to just really admire her. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So that, that was what I wanted to be for a long time. So did you pursue, how long did you kind of pursue that for? Was that just kind of a dream you never took up or did you? Yeah, it? it was just kind of... I don't know. I don't even know why I didn't pursue it. I don't know, really. Mm. I think I just got caught up in the kind of, in in life, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, just plodding along, really. I did a degree. I did an English degree. Mm. And at the point where I did my degree, I think I was still thinking I might I might want to be a journalist. Mm. Um, but I think, without wanting to, you know, be negative about my parents, my parents were very negative people. Yeah. And they did a lot of, well, you won't be able to do that kind of thing, mm. you know. And they'd say, oh, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of, you know, you'd have to be really, really good to be able to do that. Mm. So they were always pre like preparing you for a fall sort of thing. Mm. But it often made things feel like they were like out of reach, that they were not things that I could achieve. So, yeah, it was funny, really. But I did the English degree and then I looked at like, I I applied for all sorts of different jobs after that. Like mm. um, I worked in Debenhams for a while. I worked at the Boat Museum in Ellesmere Port for a while. Okay. Doing events and conference management. Right. And then after that, I managed a hotel. <laughs> Just like weird. <laughs> I don't know how <laughs> I ended up in these jobs. But um, and then after that, while I was working in the hotel, I really decided that I would like to go into teaching. Mm. Um, and oh, that was the other job I had. I worked in housing benefits in Ellesmere Port for a mm. while. And that was quite an eye opener really, because one of the things I realized was how many people were illiterate. Yeah. And quite shocked me really. Yeah. I think in my head, I thought, yeah, there were some people who were illiterate, but I think I thought it was like a really, really very small, you know, very small number. And actually, yeah. I, I suppose working in that environment you're going to come into contact with people who have difficulties yeah you know and and those people through no fault of their own were having difficulties because they were getting bills they couldn't read they were getting yeah. stuff through the post they couldn't deal with and that was then meaning they were getting into trouble and and struggling yeah um so i guess you you are going to meet a greater proportion but i think it just shocked me the range of people mm. you know i think before that i'd probably been quite judgmental about who wouldn't be able to read yeah and i think meeting such a range of people who just couldn't read and write made yeah. me realize that you know that can happen to anyone can't it yeah. you know 
there's a lot of people that fall through that net in school and leave school with no qualifications and and then not only no qualifications i feel the system sometimes the school system actually for those kids when they go to school they fail and fail and fail don't they every single day they're given stuff that's too hard they're given stuff that they're not supported with Mm. and i think in my naivety i thought i can change this i can make a difference (laughs) and uh, so i um not being one to go the usual routes i decided to i went to china for six months okay and i taught taught english in china for six months um and then I got into Leeds University and yep. did teach training. And I taught for 17 years. Yeah. So. So, right. So. There's still, still a literacy crisis. So I didn't really achieve what I set out to achieve. <laughs> <laughs> My lofty well, aim. Well, the, the thing is as well, is like, you know, there's the assumption that the kids who haven't managed to learn to read actually have gone into school at all mm. you know in some cases it's like you know many of them maybe haven't at all yeah. so you might not have seen the people that you needed to kind of intervene with definitely and then there's a problem with the system isn't it? the system is oh, inherently yeah. flawed like you can you know and I, I do think I made some difference to some kids along the way I'm sure I did but mm. yeah like you say I mean I used to have a kid who used to he used to come into his English lesson but it was because it was before lunch and so he used to come in for his free school dinner because yeah. he wasn't getting fed at home. Yeah. And you just think, you know, you've got bigger fish to fry than yeah. learning to read, haven't you? Yeah. It's not a priority. Getting your lunch is a priority. Mm. And it's that if we're not meeting those basic needs, why would anyone care about, you know, passing SATs or it's meaningless, isn't it? Yeah. You're listening to Series 3, Episode 5, and my guest, Anne Jones. This is another Zoom interview recorded on the 9th of February, 2022. Evening comrades. Anne Jones moved to Leeds about five years ago, gave up teaching and started Cards or Die. Anne was a secondary school English teacher for 17 years before starting Cards or Die, a pop-up game events business, a bit like a mobile board games cafe. Cards or Die runs regular gaming evenings at pubs and cafes, but also at weddings, festivals, birthday parties and corporate events. Anne enjoys getting people together, and that is the main focus of her work. Covid hit Cards or Die hard, but Anne says one of the good things to come out of it was having time to write the Rule Book Toolkit, a complete guide to creating the perfect rule book for your board game. Anne began doing a lot more editing and writing of rule books using her unique combination of board games, knowledge and English writing skills. Anne also ran a fundraiser before Christmas 2021 to enable her to pay for events that were to be run at the Welcome In Community Centre as they weren't able to pay for the service. Enough money was raised to run four events which also included a hot meal. Anne wants to do more charity events and has set up a Kofi membership scheme so you can support her with that goal. If you would like to do that, then go to Kofi, that's K-O hyphen F-I, so Kilo Oscar hyphen Foxtrot India or Indigo dot com forward slash cards or die to offer support. So what is it that you do now then? So now, in keeping with my random jobs, I run a board games business, 
So uh, it's board games events, really, is what I run. And I have a large collection of board games and I take those to various places and various locations and venues and uh, teach people how to play the games and recommend them. And the, the purpose of that is to get people playing together and to get people interacting, really. That's, mm. that's the key purpose of that through board games. Cool. So how did that come about? How did you start doing that? So it came about really, I've always loved board games. And around the time I was looking to leave teaching, I noticed that there were an awful lot of board game cafes popping up all over the place. Mm. And Leeds didn't have a board games cafe at the time. There wasn't, um, Geek Retreat wasn't there. There wasn't, there wasn't anything like that. And there were games shops, there was Travelling Man, but I thought, you know, a games cafe might be good. Yeah. And I looked at it and, and the, for lots of reasons, I decided that that wouldn't really work for me. But mm. I thought what I could do is a kind of pop-up thing mm. where I could hold board games, kind of cafe style things at different venues. Mm -hmm. So I could just concentrate on doing the board games. Um, and so that's how it came about really. Okay. So take us through your first one then. So did you start it as a business straight away or did you, you must've tried it out somewhere and done a bit of market research beforehand or? Um, I did market research, but it was mainly based on the board game cafes, really, yeah. on that idea. And I just felt like, well, if that works, then it must work as a pop-up. <laughs> that was my market research. So that must work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and so the first event I had was at the Abbey Inn uh, pub. And um, I wanted to do like a launch event to launch the business. Yeah. And, um, when I first went in, they were like, no, <laughs> they were like, don't know how that'll work. And I was like, it will work. It will, I promise it will work. I promise yeah. it will work. And I was like, it's not costing you anything. You don't have to do anything. Eventually one of the lads who worked there, I saw him one night there and I was telling him about it. And he was like, that sounds amazing. <laughs> I think he might've had a drink. And he went, oh, I'll talk to Martin again. I'll talk to him again. So he spoke to the boss again and then uh, I went in again and he went, oh, I might have been a bit too hasty. Tell me again. So I told him again, he went, well, we'll try it. We'll do a lunch night with you. That's fine. And I said, I can fill the pub. I can fill the pub. It'll be fine. <laughs> and um, it was really, really busy and it went really well. Yeah. And everyone enjoyed it. And he was like, oh, I can see this working. Mm. And once I'd got a book in and I could say to people, I already do it. It works. Yeah. Then people got used to it and I think I've slowly, slowly built up a reputation and convinced people that it works. Yeah. Um, because it was, there wasn't anything, anyone around here, wasn't anyone I knew doing anything like it. So it is hard then because you're selling the whole concept of it, not just yourself, you know? Yeah. But, but like you say, once you've got one behind you, people, it's like, well, I made, they did it there. That was the thing that happened. So yeah. it is a real thing. It does work. Yeah. 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 And now, yeah, I, I'm, on, you know, I'm, I'm busy. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> and it means I can, I've spread out more. I can do more different things. Mm. So I, can, I do weddings. I've got a festival booked in. Mm -hmm. I've got, um, 
I just do all sorts of different things just to mean and, and also I'm focusing a bit more on the kind of social aspect of it you know mm-hmm. tackling social isolation getting people mixing getting people to come along on their own you know because mm. that's important it's important to be able to come to something yeah and I think board games have got a particular strength there in that you know if you feel a little bit uncomfortable or you're not sure how to make conversation or chit chat or if you're a bit uncomfortable with eye contact even Mm. all of those things are solved by board games because you can come along you've got a purpose for being there Mm. the game gives you something to talk about Mm. so you don't have to chit chat about yourself you can focus entirely on the game Mm. and chatting about oh well if I do this and then you do that and you know you You've got a topic of conversation and you haven't even got to make eye contact. You're looking at the board, you're looking at your cards. Mm. So it removes a lot of those social difficulties, I think. Mm. Um, that's what I think anyway. And so so I think it's perfect for people to come along on their own and, and feel comfortable. And mm. What are the, yeah, I mean, you said you've done weddings, corporate events and so on. Do you do in terms of accessibility or times of day or like, you know, have you done children's events? Have you done events for sort of like, you know, specialist or, or niche communities or anything like that? Yeah, I've done, um, I've done a few family events. Mm-hmm. Um, so that obviously caters for children and I've, um, I've done some for elderly folk and like dementia cafes and things. Mm-hmm. I've done those sorts of ones pre-pandemic, actually. I haven't had any of those bookings back yet. Mm. I mean, I guess they'll they'll come, yeah. you know, because I was working regularly with some people. So I guess they'll come back when they feel it's safe. Yeah, when it's safe, yeah. Yeah, when they feel comfortable. Um, uh, and to be fair, I haven't like chased any of them up or anything. I've just, I've just kind of left that for now, just just see. But yeah, so I've done those. Mm. It was interesting working with people with dementia as well. Mm. Um, both my parents had dementia. They both died of dementia. Um, and at first I avoided it. I very much avoided it because I didn't want, I think, especially towards the end of my parents' lives, I was like, I can't work with people with dementia. I mean, I was like, I can't do yeah. that. It's too hard. But actually, do you know, it's, I was worried for nothing because it, it wasn't hard when I did it because it wasn't my parents. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's totally different, isn't it? And I think one of the things I was struggling with with my parents was being cross with them a lot because yeah. they were doing things that were making things much, much less safe for themselves and they were taking unnecessary risks and making poor decisions. It was very frustrating. Mm. And I think, of course, you don't get cross with other people's parents the way you get cross with your own parents. So you just, you're just not that close, are you? Yeah. So, so actually, it was fine. And I've really enjoyed doing the stuff I've done with people with dementia. Yeah. It's been really interesting. Yeah. 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 And I suppose to a degree, kind of therapeutic because you're kind of detaching the disease from those memories, maybe to a degree. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it wasn't really the dementia, it was just that the parents were ill. <laughs> They'd yeah, been annoying. Like, yeah. I think in the way only, like, say only your own parents can be that annoying, can't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. You started up then before the pandemic. Take us through that. How long before the pandemic did you start? How was it going? Was it just going from strength to strength? And then sort of what happened when we hit lockdown? So I was just finishing my third year of business when we hit lockdown. Mm-hmm. So it was my first year in profit. 
Right, yeah. Which was fantastic. And I was really happy with the way it was going. I had loads of bookings in. It was looking really promising. And then, of course, it was all just taken away. One of the most difficult, well, not difficult, but frustrating things was, you know, the government did that um, grant for self-employed people. And yeah. all you had to do was submit three years worth of tax returns. And then they would give you a percentage of your yeah. tax return back. And everybody being incredibly well-meaning, I looked it up immediately and realised I didn't qualify because for two years I'd made a loss. So yeah. my third year I'd made a profit, but it wasn't a massive profit. It was only a small profit. And as soon yeah. as you divide that by three years, it was going to be like I was going to owe them 75p, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I was like, I'm not applying for it. What's yeah. the point? But I just got endless, endless text messages, mm. emails, people going, oh, I found this thing. You should apply for that. And I go, I'm not, I'm not eligible. You will be eligible. I'm not eligible. Mm. Like, so the only support that was out there I wasn't eligible for. And then um, I Could went, you furlough yourself? Well, no, because I'm um sole trader. Right, yeah. So I couldn't get yeah, yeah. I looked at everything and there just wasn't anything. Yeah. And then more recently, Leeds Council did a thing where they gave, um, you had to submit what you would have made. Yeah. Which was hard in a way because I looked at what I would have made. And even at a conservative estimate, I was like, oh, God, that's just made a list of all the money I haven't made this year, you know. Yeah. And the grant was like £500, which obviously didn't touch the sides of, you know, two years worth of loss, do you know what yeah. I mean? But I was grateful for it, don't get me wrong. I was grateful to receive a grant. It was, it was, it was useful. Um, yeah. But it reminds me, I'm, I'm in a very privileged position, really, because my husband works full-time and earns a decent wage. So, like, my, I could keep my business alive, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah without really making any money. Mm. I made bits. I made bits over lockdown because I did some online events. Um, I did online bingo, which went down really, <laughs> really popular over lockdown. It was really funny. Mm. Um, and I've got a really old, like, Spears bingo game where you turn the thing and the numbers come out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just really old school. So we did that on Zoom a bit and that went down well. But I just... I felt really at the time, like I didn't want to charge if mm. people couldn't afford. So I did that pay as you feel. Mm -hmm. And some people paid, some people couldn't pay. And it just, you know, whatever, mm. that was fine. But in terms of my income, it, mm. it did take a bit of a hit, really. And it, I also started doing rule book editing and writing. Mm. Um, and I, I created a rule book toolkit mm -hmm. for games makers to, to help them to write good rule books. Yep. I think one of the things about accessibility in board games is, you know, often people are interested in the hobby and then they're put off because it seems quite inaccessible. And yeah, and that's something I, I want to tackle, really. Yeah, you can't find out. There, it's sort of like if there's a backgammon in, in a pub and you pick up the backgammon and someone's like, oh, I know how to play it. And then you're like, you don't know what the rules are because so they could say anything and you're kind of like, well, I don't trust that. I'm not sure if that's right. But if you've got a rule book there, it's like when they have the pool rules up in pubs. Yeah. It's then you can't yeah. argue. It's like, look, there's there's the rules. That's that's yeah. what happens. Totally. And well, and some of the some games will have, you know, modern games will have rule books that have got like he and him still in. Mm. You know. 
the player will, da, 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 he will pick one card. And it's yeah. like, all oh, right, so this game's not for me then, is it? Yeah. The boys. Yeah. Like, that's, yeah. So little things like that, I think, can be better. And and also, like, rule books that talk to you as though you've played a billion games. Yeah. And actually, some people have picked your game up because they, they like the look of it, but they don't know what a trick-taking mechanic is or a, you know what I mean? Yeah. Meaningless. Like it needs to be clear, doesn't it? It needs to be accessible. So, um, so yes, yeah, so I've done some work with that, which has been good. And that was that was obviously a nice source of income over the lockdown. So I was very lucky. I kind of want to talk a bit about games, but I might do that in a bit. But yeah, just sort of staying on the on the lockdown. So, I mean, do you think that? Because I've got a question on social media, so we may as well go into that now. Do you think that, like? was good marketing it was good sort of pr generation and kind of at least kept your name out there or maybe gathered new potential clients i mean did you did things pick up massively when it opened up again or was it like slow to to come back or it was slow and steady and it's yeah. built back up now um to a point that i'm happy with mm. that i would say is similar to pre lockdown mm. I think the hard thing for me about social media over the lockdown, I did try to keep at it and keep posting, keep on it mm. because you don't, my main aim, I decided my main aim over the lockdown was that people wouldn't forget who I was. Yeah. That was what I thought. I thought I can't build the business. I can't do much, but I can aim mm. to make sure no one forgets me. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of my social media is, I've got this event coming up. Yeah. Here's some pictures of the event. Yeah. This is what I've taken to the event. You know, here's a game I played at the event. All of it was, not all of it, but a lot of it was event-based because that's, people were interested in that. And it was, Mm. it's content, isn't it? So finding content during a time when nothing was happening was, was hard. Mm. Um, So, um, so yeah, I did struggle to kind of keep on social media, but I think I, I managed. And writing the mm. rule book toolkit was good. That kept me quite busy because mm. um, I ended up being able to do quite a, a thorough document. Mm. And I think because I've got like English teaching skills mm. and writing skills mm-hmm. and board game knowledge, mm. I could put all of those things into one lump do you know what I mean and create this mm-hmm. kind of course that was going to be really useful for people so and that gave me some content for social media mm. but yeah it was it was hard to be present on social media and also you know with the business social media particularly like Facebook and Instagram you know you try and be positive don't you oh, yeah oh, this is great <laughs> and that's great look at this great thing everything's amazing <laughs> Yeah, it's something brilliant. This is amazing. And actually, it just all felt a bit rubbish. I don't want to post every day, well, this is pants and this is incredible. This is awful. Well, like, I suppose it's all on the pitch. You could start off with like, everything's dreary, but you could play this board game and that would make your day exciting. <laughs> yes, no, yeah. go, go for a flip. Um, like, I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I did play, I did play a lot of games and I do think it is important to have that. I do try and have that balance mm. to be fair with my social media, because I think it's, I don't know, social media is a funny one, isn't it? Because, mm. you know, I know, um, I've got friends who I'm friends with on social media and on my personal social media, I don't think that I'm 
putting on this amazing cover of oh life's amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. how instagrammable my life is yeah um but i think what i do is i don't always write in detail about the dreadful things that happen <laughs> and about how difficult life is and how yeah worries i'm having or how my mental health is yeah because i don't want to worry people and upset people and mm. i don't want to dwell on those things so instead what you get is Oh, I've gone for a walk with the children and the dog and here's a picture of me and my children and here's the mm. dog and aren't we having a lovely time? Because that's what I want to focus on and that's what I want to remember of that week or that month. Mm. The fact that both my children are struggling with school attendance, my son's autistic, I have anxiety, all of those things, I don't necessarily want to focus on all the time. Do you know what I mean? So, but the result of that is a friend of mine said, that another friend on Facebook had said to her, gosh, I don't know how Anne does it. She, her life's so together. She's so great with the children. Like, it's amazing what she's doing. And I was like, oh, whoa, 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 no, that's not true. I'm not, mm. I'm not that person that mm. they think I am. Mm. And I felt a bit bad, really, because I thought it's so misleading, isn't it? I think that's a really, really interesting point. Yeah. Because you are, like, I find with doing intros to these, for example, it's like, who am I talking to? I mean, I'm talking to myself in a room um, and to an imagined audience, but it's kind of like, but how do I pitch it? Like, I don't know in terms of the listeners and like, and how professional should I be or how professional should I try to sound or how entertaining should I try to sound or how funny should I try to be or whatever. I think as well in terms of posts and like, you know, getting the posts out and the regularity of posts. And there is things that you kind of, you know, say to people, like, for example, I'm behind on loads of editing. I had like the other week off because my back was really, really bad and couldn't get loads of stuff done. Mm. And then it's just like, but I'm also like, I'm putting episodes out for an imagined audience that I know is kind of there, but it's not like they're chomping at the bit to sort of hear these episodes or you know maybe maybe a couple of people are but yeah. you know what I mean there's no yeah. sort of like accountability and so I don't have to put it out now because no one you know no one's going to complain and I'm not getting paid for it anyway and then mm -hmm. if I do put it out do I need to explain to people why I haven't put it out like you know here's some background detail on why I've not been doing stuff like yeah. how much should you share how much should you not share like what's social media, what's professional media, like with mm. the lines blurring, what, what are you supposed to do? I think that's a really interesting area you brought up. Yeah. And, and the thing is, I, I don't know, because like you said about podcasts, I've got, I've got one that I listen to, mm. it's a, a crime one. Mm -hmm. And he takes like part of December and the whole of January off. Mm. So I am actually like, oh, come on now, come yeah. on. <laughs> I would never dream of like commenting and saying, when are you back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. my podcast on? Because <laughs> that's, you know, there's other podcasts to listen to and I'm just listening to other podcasts, but I am excited for him coming back. He doesn't know that, does he? No. Got no way of knowing that I'm waiting. <laughs> like he's an American person and his podcast's really big. But do you know what I mean? You've got no way of knowing whether someone's like having a little peek on your website and going, no, there isn't one this week. Mm. You yeah. Know? And, and just, or just... what their intentions are with it. It's like, oh, well, this could be someone that's working full time. You know, they've got 
like massive family. They've got all sorts of things to deal with. And they just put together these great podcasts for me when they get the chance. <laughs> yeah, you just, it's so hard. And I mean, I think for me, that's got easier sense of audience. Like when you were saying at the start about market research, mm. I think my main thing was, well, I would go to that. Yeah. Like, you know, when they say you should have like a super customer in mind. Yeah. For like the perfect person you're pitching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Person. I'm kind of pitching it me. Yeah. What would I like? And yeah. even like, you know, looking at different audiences, I'm like, well, if I went on my own, what, what would I want it to be like? Mm. And like, yeah. And I think about like elder relatives, what would they have enjoyed if they were? So I don't think much further outside me and my family and, mm -hmm. and like my friends. But as things have developed, obviously I meet my audience all the time. Mm. So then it becomes like when I pack for an event, I'm almost packing for specific people who are at yeah, that yeah, event. Because yeah. yeah. I know each week roughly who'll come. And I'll say, oh, they like this game. I'll put this game in because they'll also like that. And sometimes when I buy games, I'll think, oh, what does so-and-so like? Oh, they'll love this. They'll love this game. And although I'm only buying it to that one or two people, mm. I know that if those two people like it, mm. lots of people will, buy, will enjoy it at the events, you know? Yeah, yeah. So you can kind of, you, you sort of, well, you're kind of doing a bit of sort of, um, you know, customer profiles there and creating demographics because you're kind of like, mm. okay, well, they're quite mainstream, these two. So yeah. if these two like this, everyone will like that. This one's yeah. a bit more niche. That's for this guy. He really likes that one. She loves this kind of thing. And that's more that kind of market. So, yeah. Yeah. Because it's a small, because it's quite, I mean, sort of what's your maximum number of people that you can facilitate? Um. Oh, the, what's the biggest event you've done? So, oh God. So the biggest I've done was um, probably Geronimo Fest mm. where I had just, I can't even remember how many people I saw over the weekend now. I've got it written down somewhere, but it was something insane, like about 800 people over the weekend. Mm. And obviously they came in dribs and drabs and dribs and drabs. Mm. But at one point I'd asked for an ex a couple of extra tables for the marquee. And after I asked for the tables, I was like, that was an error because I can't get around everyone. Like, I was like, oh, there's space and there's people who want to play. Bring them in, bring yeah. them in. And then you're like, oh, right, that's a lot of people. Yeah, and there's only me. Yeah. <laughs> if you comfortably do around 25, yeah. that's kind of that's kind of me running around a bit yeah. busy, 25, yeah. if they all come at once. Mm -hmm. But usually what tends to happen is people come in dribs and drabs. Some people know what they want to play and they want to, you know, they only need a brief intro. Some people play something that they've played before. Mm -hmm. So it, ten it tends to just work around 25, 30 people is probably mm. a, a good kind of maximum mm. for me not, for me to feel afterwards like I've spoken to everyone and I've helped everyone, you know, because yeah. I did one at the university the other week and that was really busy. And mm. at one point I was starting to feel like, oh, I'm not really interacting with everybody mm -hmm. it, was, it was quite busy and I think we had 38 at that yeah but a lot of them came in like a block yeah it was strange really because it was steady then it went a bit bit like really manically busy and then mm -hmm. it, it calmed down again mm. but that was like, oh. <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> running around 
Let, I, I mean, let's just delve into, I, I'm going to go on to board games next because I think that'll be fun. But sort of the the day-to-day and kind of nitty-gritty of it, like, mm. I, I mean, are you working, I, I suppose comparing it to the, the previous experience with teaching, mm. are you working more or less hours on it? Is there more or less admin to do? Do you get to spend more time on the actual fun stuff? Like... How do your days kind of break down and like, you know, in terms of capacity, have you got plenty of capacity? Do you have to book, do you have to go and seek bookings or do you get most, like now are you at the point where most bookings are kind of coming in for you? Like, how does it go kind of in terms of your, I suppose, I suppose it's like a work-life balance question. Um, I mean, does it, does it balance out right for you? Do you, you know, do you get enough spare time and downtime? Does it take? too much time at any point like how does it feel to work um so compared to teaching Mm. it's like a dream Mm. so when I was teaching I was working um I basically I taught for long 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 time years and years and um when I've been teaching about 14 years I had like a breakdown basically just basically broke and at the point where I broke I was working, um, so I'd get into work just before eight in the morning, leave at half five, probably not have much in the way of breaks really during that time. I'd eat, but not have much actual downtime. And then pick my children up, feed them, mm. get them into bed, and then start working again at 9 p.m. till about midnight or one o'clock, and then start the whole thing all over again. Um, and still, I felt I could be doing more. Mm. There was still more to be done. I still wasn't fully on top of it. Um, After that, when I went back, I cut my hours down significantly. So um, instead I worked um, like from just before eight till about half five most days. And then some nights I would work till seven, stay at work till kind of seven o'clock. And then I tried really hard not to do anything in the evenings. Mm. Um, and always I worked Sundays um, throughout. But even with that reduction of hours, it was still a lot. That's mm. still a lot of hours. Mm. And it's it's hard. And with all too the much. changes. Too much, really. Too much, yeah. And with all the changes that the government were making, it was just getting more and more difficult. They just kept ripping things out from under us. You know, there was the whole new curriculum thing. There was changes to the GCSEs. Mm. The same year they made changes to the GCSEs, they made changes to the A-level course, Mm. which I was teaching at the time. Just too much, too much. And there was never any time for training. Like when we went into that lockdown, I felt for teachers because I thought I know exactly what's happened. They've gone, I'll just teach online. Yeah. (laughs) Just like that. Just teach online. All right, okay. Are we going to tra- be trained to teach online or what? Mm. Yeah. They won't have been. So they've just been thrown into it. Mm. Just adapt, you know. Well, loads of them were had to still go in as well because, yeah. they, you yeah. know, because schools had to stay open for the people who did have to work. Yeah. So it will have been a come into school, but also teach online. And yeah. also you need to send this home. And yeah. also then it was you need to administer COVID tests and then you yeah. need to do this and this and this. With Just, the same same instruction you always get. Do less with more. Yeah. Do less with more. 
now. Just do less with more. Yeah. And then still, we're going to punish you when the attendance figures are low. Yeah. And if you if your attainment is low, we're going to be like, well, can you explain yeah. why that child didn't get a C at GCSE? Yeah, it's still your fault. It's still your fault, <laughs> yeah. And ultimately, that used to absolutely kill me every year. You had to fill in these forms that were like, why did these children get the grades they got? Mm. You know, this child was predicted a C and they got a D. Mm. And you're like, right, well, you know, since like year eight, when I kept saying they were really naughty and they didn't do any work and mm. I couldn't get them to do any work and I ran mm. home and I kept them in detention and nothing worked. That's why they didn't get a C at GCSE. Mm. But it's not enough. Mm. Nothing, it's never enough. And it's always on you. It's like, maybe we should have, be having this meeting with that child mm. and saying, do you want to tell us why you didn't get a C in English? Yeah. Any ideas? Mm. Uh, but anyway, yeah. And then... um and there was all sorts of things happening, like the the whole, which I feel came in a bit self-like, the whole, you don't really need a teaching degree to teach anymore. Mm. So I ended up with like three teachers who just fancied teaching and mm. hadn't had no professional qualification whatsoever and just learning on the job. Mm. So you have to do a timetable and give classes to those teachers. And I just thought, this isn't, I didn't get into this to, to do this. Mm. Just that it needs training. It is a profession. It is not something you can pick up as you go along. <laughs> you know mm. what I mean? Well, I, 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 we're going to go on a tangent here, but um, I'll, I'll bring it back soon. I think part of that is because, you know, they've depressed the wages so much for it mm. and, you know, increased the workload so mm. much for it. And it's like, well, people who are degree educated and will have loads of debt now because mm. of student loans and so on. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm not going to go into teaching. The pay's crap and you have to do loads of hours. And like, even still, loads of people will go into teaching. But like how many people, you know, like you say, it used to be a profession, but how many people now have been a teacher for five, 10 years, 12 years, you know, like two years a year I've just gone into teaching because it's easy to do now and I think it might be all right it might be a profession and then you know like the people that haven't got the qualifications how long will they stay you know? I, don't, I don't know I just I think people are just going to keep burning out because I mm. think it takes you and it it wrings the life out of you mm. actually, sadly and I well, applaud people who are still doing it I think you know it is a valuable job and it is a vocation I get that because mm. that's what you get thrown at you whenever there's a strike. It's a vocation. Mm, yeah. It is a vocation, but I'm not. I'm not a nun. I'm not <laughs> doing it for free. It's not for my spiritual well-being. <laughs> for the social good. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's um. It just got harder and harder, and I think I was getting tired and tired because mm. I'd done those hours for so many years. Mm. And I think eventually I just, just broke really. Mm. I just couldn't sustain it any longer. Yeah. Which is, which is sad because I, I think I was a good teacher and yeah. without being arrogant, I think I was a good teacher and I think yeah. I did engage young people and I did a good job. Mm. But, but it's also hard because you watch those children fall through the net. Yeah. And I could tell you in year seven, who wasn't going to, access education and who was going to struggle and yeah why aren't we doing something about that why why are they still in that system that's not working for them mm. 
Mm. And all the government have done is gone, oh, we'll make them stay on till they're 19, because that's the answer, isn't it? Let's mm. <laughs> make them stay longer in a system that punishes them and tells them they're rubbish. Well, there's like the increase in um, retirement age, isn't it? Well, just well, work longer. Just work well, you can, longer. You, you lot can pay it off later. You're not voting for us anyway, so you lot can work forever. <laughs> You're not going to retire till the day after you've died anyway. So you don't worry about your stupid <laughs> It's like, oh, yeah. Plus, we're going to get rid of your health service. So you're not going to live to collect it anyway. So <laughs> let's face it. Let's face it. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved, I loved working with kids. I loved teaching in many ways. There were many great things about it. Um, but the, the, oh, that's what I was going to say as well. I felt like the the reduction of like it as a profession mm. just tied in with that whole kind of thing, the way we treat experts now. Mm. Like we don't care what experts say about anything and we haven't for years. It's been like, no, expert, I, I'm just going to ask this random person on the street or, you know. Well, there is certain, certain experts that we care about, like Bill Gates, um, yeah. Elon Musk. Richard yeah. Branson, these are the kind of experts that we want, mm -hmm. you know, like because yeah. Bill Gates being the number one sort of public health person in the world with no, you know, medical background, no like, specific skills or qualification or history in it. It's like, yeah, let him decide. Let him decide what, what should get money, like, you know, because publics can't drag themselves up by the bootstraps, don't yeah. we? Oh, they manage with no education. They got, you know, they, they're worth millions of pounds and it's like, well, that's great. That's great for them. But they're really the exception. Yeah. And we, we can't hold that up as a, look, kids, you don't need education. <laughs> you can just be rich. Well, yeah. Is that anyone can win the lottery? Yeah. 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 They open to everyone. Yeah. No, anyone can be a YouTuber or a, go on, I'm a celebrity. Like, yeah, the whole, yeah. I don't know. And then I felt as well, there was a whole, with all the big brother and the I'm a celebrity, there was a big kind of fetishizing of, of people who weren't, who weren't bright, do you know what mm. I mean? And didn't have a, a specific, particular like talent or knowledge or mm. it was just, they were just famous for being famous. Yeah. And a lot of kids would then be like, oh yeah, you know, that's, I'm just going to be famous. Yeah. Like, all right, what are you going to do there? <laughs> what special thing are you going to do and get good at and practice? Well, I'll I'll have a following, and then from that following, yeah. I will have attention, and from that attention, I will get advertising revenue and sponsorship deals and influencer sort of thing. I mean, I can't criticize. I, I'm trying to do that exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just think I don't know. I just worry. To worry about society in general, the way we're well, it's, it's collapsing, it's collapsing around our ears. And then it, it was really before is. the pandemic, and everyone went, Oh, yeah. and then it can't, it seemed like it had calmed down, even though the world had collapsed, like the yeah. world ended. And then we were like, Oh, well, it's still here, even we though we got away with that. Yeah. And then we came back, and everyone was like, Oh, it's so good to be outside again. And we'd forgotten that the world was collapsing. And now we're like, Oh, the world's still collapsing, isn't it? But it's all right because Jacob Rees-Mogg is going to get rid of a thousand different uh, EU rules. 
So that's going to definitely that'll, that'll bring even more of those Brexit benefits in. Uh, that's what I'm excited about. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm particularly excited about all the human rights I'm about to lose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> After we've just had the largest uh, drop in standard of living since records began. Yeah, uh, you know. but that is because of the pandemic. Don't, don't be distracted <laughs> by Brexit. <laughs> don't be fooled. And anyway, look over here at this other thing that we've got that we're going to show you. That's I mean, great. the thing is, this is what the public wanted. Yes, we voted for it, didn't we? Yeah. And they and they uh, and they uh, they agree with you know they buy these newspapers so Ooh. yeah yeah so let's talk board games yeah <laughs> on a more positive note yeah, yeah, yeah. Rock Brexit <laughs> we can still play games when the world burns around us <laughs> it's about all we can do <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so why why board games. Like, where does your interest in board games come in? Is this like from childhood? Is this a recent thing? Like, is it a big board game family? Um, and then like maybe talk about sort of the games that you got. Like, it'd be interesting to see what the first game was and then sort of what you added on, what were popular. So talk board games at me, Anne. <laughs> <laughs> it start off a 10. Uh, so I think I've thought a lot about this because it's a question I get asked a lot really about how I got into board games and I think that one of the things was that it was a way of getting my family to play with me which yeah. sounds really sad but I was the youngest by like 12 years mm. so there were things that I liked doing that that obviously my elder siblings were like that's a bit boring mm. but if I could get them to play games with me like card games or any kind of game then they would and like my mum was very much like she wouldn't really play with me all that much. But if we were playing like a proper game, mm. you know, that was a bit educational or had like a proper structure, she would play that with me. Mm. So I had a game where there were, um, you rolled dice and you got, it was a bit like Beatles, I suppose. You rolled dice and there were these bits of clowns, like arms and legs and body and head. Right. And they had dice numbers on. And when you got the number, you got that yep. piece of the jigsaw and you made your little clown. Mm. And so me and mum used to play that a lot. And we used to play picture lotto a lot. And then someone bought me Escape from Atlantis, which Great was a game. game. Yeah, from like <laughs> 1986. Yeah. And it had like a swirler and mm. it, not a dice. Yeah. And you, um, the island is slowly disintegrating and falling into the sea and you've got to rescue your little islanders and get them off to different separate islands around the side. Mm -hmm. And I loved that. That was so good. And to be fair, I still love it. It's a great game. Yeah. It really is a great game. And it's been remade, which shows, I think. You know, it's a really strong game because you can yeah. kind of like stuff people over and like, <laughs> You know, and, and the island's sort of falling apart on you. So there's a time element to it. And yeah. it's a great game. It was just great. And the, the remake, interestingly, is very, very similar. Mm. Like they've hardly changed anything. Oh, yeah. There's no swirler, but then there's oh. no plastic in the new game. All right. Okay. And I know that's a good thing. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, you need a swirler. Like people <laughs> well, are going to be like, what's the swirler? <laughs> I can't even describe it. It's got a ball bearing and you shake it. Yeah, and, and it's got like pictures of the various sort of actions Absolutely. in the game yeah. and then you spin it around and wherever it lands, that's the, the that's thing the that action. you can move, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, the new game, but the, the, 
the added thing in the new game is they've put little um, numbers on the bottom of your people. So your right. people are worth different amounts, which oh. is a like modern twist. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If some of them die, yeah. as long as you most... As long as you get the most important, valuable people, yeah. As long as you get the Elon Musk off, then that's all that matters. The rest yeah. of us don't count. Well, we're always like, this one's a doctor, so we have to save this one because this one's important. Doctor of so, what? Well, just a doctor. Got an ology. That's all I am. Doctor of the metaverse. <laughs> Bloody metaverse. Bloody hell. Yeah. We'll stay on board games. Yeah, let's stay on board games. Don't stray into the metaverse. Um, so then going back, um to the question about what i like how i expanded my collection mm. um i i don't know i because i was following people on twitter and looking at what board games people were buying i think often i just went for things that i liked the look of and looked interesting mm. and then as i did more events i was able to start thinking about what was going down well what people were enjoying mm. i've got quite a lot of cooperative games yeah, seem quite popular, you know, where people... I'd like to try some more of them, yeah. Mm, so people have like a shared aim and they mm. play together to defeat some kind of puzzle or some mm. kind of threat or something. Yeah. So there is one called Pandemic, which is good. So that one, you have to work together to uh, find cures and mm. then it's too lavish, you find the cures and then you eradicate the pandemic. Mm. It's the ultimate win. And that's... We we have played that during the pandemic and that was quite satisfying because we won. Mm. Yes, we saved the world. Um, <laughs> just, <laughs> That'd be very cathartic. Yeah, it was. It was cathartic. Yeah. 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 But it involves everyone in the world working together, I think. I think that's the uh, <laughs> the drawback from uh, real life. But um, so they always go down quite well. And I'm always really drawn to like pretty games that look nice, you know, like that have nice components. Mm. And I think for people who maybe don't play many games, that does attract them in. Like mm. I've got one called Takanoko and it comes with a little, um, a little panda. And when you roll the dice to find out what the weather is, and if the lightning strikes, the panda gets scared and runs in a straight line onto another square right. and eats some bamboo yeah. because it's frightened. It makes him feel better. And yeah. there's a little farmer, and when you move the farmer on for a patch, he makes the bamboo grow more. Yeah. So, And the bamboo is like little wooden things that actually stack up into a little tower of different coloured bamboo, and they're all pastel colours. And they're the kind of games that, as well, when someone is playing at an event, someone who maybe is not sure about it or mm. you know they'll come over and ask and it, it starts a conversation and i think those games with like nice tactile components or something visually striking mm. draw people in to the game yeah. it's like and trivial pursuits the wedges like yeah. when you're a kid that's the most enjoyable part of the game it's like oh, a yeah. wedge and it fits in there and yeah, there's something really satisfying about that, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, rather than just getting a point on a piece of paper, you've got Yeah, because you can see it in your counter of like, look, I'm, yeah. I'm getting stronger and I'm, I'm yeah, getting towards yeah. the goal. Yeah, and it is that kind of thing, isn't it? And I think also people will tolerate games that are more complex if they've got a theme like that or they've yeah. got like a... Uh, like a Zul has got these beautiful tiles and you line up the tiles and you make like a mosaic with the tiles mm. and it's just really pretty and really tactile. Mm. And I think 
people who are new to games, if that was an abstract game that was like just about strategy and tactics and mm. there was no kind of tactile element or pretty element, then they wouldn't be as, as interested in it. Yeah. Like, yeah. And also the retro games, I've got a massive collection of retro games and someone recently donated me a load of them, like a car full. I was so excited. Um, and some of those are really odd. I've got like a Star Wars board game. I've got a Captain wow. Scarlet board game. Wow. <laughs> Captain Scarlet board game is hilarious because it's a map of Britain, but the places that are marked on it are like, you know, normally you'd have like London, Birmingham, yeah, yeah, yeah. Glasgow, Edinburgh, whatever. It's got like uh, Grimsby is the one that stands out that's on the map. <laughs> <laughs> If you were a spy and you arrived in Britain, you'd head straight to Grimsford. <laughs> <laughs> really amuses me not. <laughs> yeah. Well, these Mysterians work in mysterious ways. <laughs> really tickled me. But um, I don't know who made that map. I'd love to know who made that map. Yeah. Um, and I think the retro games are really nice. So, oh, my dog is scratching the floor. <laughs> Great background noise. No, it's it's good, authentic reality for reality, <laughs> for the internet. You're <laughs> in the background. Hey, Luca. Yeah, don't do that. No, no, thank you. She's looking at me. She's going to start again. Yeah, yeah. Break eye contact. She's going to be like, ah, oh, you seem to be distracted. I'll go back to destroying the laminate. Um, so, yes, yeah, sorry. The retro games, I think, are really good because I think, again, people who maybe board gaming, I think, can be a bit intimidating as mm. a hobby because mm. I think, you know, it, it's, it's a set of knowledge and a set of experience that not everybody has mm. and it can seem like any hobby or anything it can seem quite exclusive can't it and quite right. like oh well you know I know I had someone come to an event recently and they messaged me beforehand and they said I don't know any of the games that you you know yeah you are. and I was like that's fine that's why I'm there I'm there to teach you the games so it, yeah. it doesn't matter it's good in a way because then you learn new games and play new things yeah you know it's strange the baggage that come like yeah again I think it's strange the baggage that comes with with games because so something like backgammon or a game like dominoes or even cards you kind of right you know I expect to see those in pubs mm. um, I expect old guys to know how to play those, these games and in some cases like with specific card games like bridge it's a like more feminized game because like people associate that with women more because of like bridge clubs in TV and stuff. Well, I do anyway. Okay, that's strange. That's not an association I've made, but yeah, that's interesting. Um, and then you like tabletop games, you know, like there's this, this sort of image of gamers and people who are playing, which is more yeah. sort of Dungeons and Dragons kind of end. It's a definite and then, stereotype. Like, and it's definitely a male. is more middle class and yeah, yeah. <laughs> like dinner party games. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's definitely a, a kind of, when you say about the Dungeons and Dragons type and like tabletop gaming, you definitely think this is the stereotype is usually a white man, isn't it? Yeah, ner nerdy teens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And someone a bit nerdy. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's and it's about challenging that, isn't it? And making sure that everybody feels welcome yeah. and everybody feels that they can come and and 
you know, and creating an atmosphere at events where, you know, that everybody feels comfortable, really. Mm. And I think that's one of the reasons that I'm so tied to the retro games, because there are gamers who are like Mon Monopoly. If you mention Monopoly in some of the board game chat groups, there's a lot of negativity about it and also a lot, a lot of snootiness, really, mm. about, oh, well, you know, that's for people who don't know anything about board games and that sort of attitude. And although that attitude is, is a minority and it is going, it is still there. It mm. is, there are still people who are a bit judgy about what mm. other people play. And I think that's true of all niche hobbies. Yeah. You have this, this niche hobby, don't you, where you've, you've found some people who are a bit like-minded and you, mm. you do a thing together. And then for some reason, there are some people within that who want to gatekeep that hobby and mm. make it so that you don't get just anybody mm. playing, you know. And I think that's true of, like I do, Morris dancing as well. And <laughs> within the Morris dancing community, there's always some people who are a bit sniffy about different types of dance and different, you know, that's that's not traditional enough or that's <laughs> tradition, but it's done wrong. That's not the right tradition. And you're like, oh, God, just some people dancing, having fun. Like, it is important to uphold traditions and it is important to learn about tradition. Mm. But, yeah, you know, so so I think it's important to kind of break those barriers down. And I think that using those retro games and playing those retro games is sometimes a good way, you know, Monopoly is not my favourite game, mm. but part of that, I think, is just because of the way that it's played. Mm -hmm. It's not my type of game. I'm not mm. a cutthroat sort of gamer. My son loves Monopoly. Mm. Part of the reason I hate it, because he <laughs> absolutely wipes the floor with me. <laughs> you know, and it's just, I don't like a game where I'm going to get absolutely destroyed yeah every time like yeah. there is nothing i can do about it yeah i don't it's no fun horribly if i yeah. think oh next time i'm gonna do yeah this, if you can but... learn from it and you can change yeah. and try and it's like oh i can try different things but if you just yeah. get crushed every time it's just nah yeah yeah and why I think... would i want to do that yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and i think the other issue with monopoly with a lot of those games like you're saying like backgammon and various other games and i've got a game called Mancala, which is Oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. It took yeah. me a long time to find the rules for that. Yeah. But I play with a set of rules for that, for instance, and other people play with different rules. Yeah. Because it's been passed down orally, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like backgammon. And Monopoly has become one of those games. Yeah. But if you say to someone, when was the last time you read the rules for Monopoly? They'll be like, oh, I don't think I've ever read the rules. There's no other game that you would get new and not learn to play. Yeah. People would be bought a set of Monopoly and everyone would be like, I know how to play this. Yeah. And they all go in with their different rules. Yeah, because no one's read the rules. So like no everyone has their own rules about what the bank of Pan and can do. Yeah. Through their families. Do you know what I mean? All right. Well, the, I, I can take a loan here because it's like, what, what loan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do I get all that money because I'm in free parking? What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's all those different rules. on, And even it turns out me and my sister play differently because yeah. Edward, my son was up in arms because he'd played it years ago. He'd played Monopoly with Marie. Yeah. And she'd had a different set of rules to me. Yeah. And he was like, well, that's not right. But I was like, at, at the time, <laughs> like, in fairness, I don't know if I'm doing it right. So at which point he read the rules. 
<laughs> he's like, right, I'm not having this vagary. Yeah. <laughs> She's very sensible. Mm. So, uh, yeah. So I think, yeah, I can't remember where I was going with that, but I think it's well, that, important to be open. That, that's interesting as well, though, because you could, you know, you could end up being like the homer of, um, you know, all these unwritten rule board games <laughs> you kind of write them down and solidify it it's like oh <laughs> and jones wrote all the rule book on all these games <laughs> yeah the final word yeah there will be no more discussion of this book <laughs> i have decided this. well i've taken all of the various rules and i've picked this one and you all have to do it i like, like oh. it best yeah because <laughs> i win most with these rules yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I've made it sound like a really bad loser. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. And I think the other thing I say to people, sometimes I'll teach a game and when I go back to, you know, circle around and go back and I'm like, you're getting on all right. And they'll go, oh, we think we might be doing it wrong. And it's when I appear, they go a bit like, oh, like I say, I'm going to be like, ah, oh, no, we've done this wrong. We must start again. <laughs> and actually, I'm like, I don't care. Like, are you all happy? You're having a nice time. <laughs> you, you're kind of still a teacher. You're going around everyone's desks yeah. and so. Yeah, okay, so like, you all right? Are you doing it right? <laughs> and I'm now that I, I might be doing it wrong, Miss. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing it right. Have fun. <laughs> They're having a lovely time till I appear, and then they go, "Oh, we might be doing it wrong." <laughs> but you were all doing the same thing. Rock. And they're like, yeah. I'm a bit like, well, then it doesn't matter. Does it? it only matters if you get to the end and everyone's done different things. <laughs> and no one's happy. And you have to score it. And you're like, oh, but I'm scoring six for these. Yeah. Everyone's like, no, I'm scoring one for those. But you're like, right, we need some kind of parity here. <laughs> we need a regulator. Yeah. And the other thing is, I think sometimes people feel like because they've they've got me to teach them a game and I've taught them a game mm. there's some compulsion to play it to the end yeah and I'm always saying to people if you hate it I'll get a different one yeah stop I it or yeah. I always bring too many games yeah there are loads of games to choose from do not stick with a game that you are mm. not having fun with life is too short for mm. not having fun playing a game like don't yeah don't feel compelled, I'm not going to shout, I'm not cross. I'm like, you made me teach you that. I spent 10 minutes telling you how to play that. Now you'll play it for two hours and you will enjoy it. <laughs> and you will still pay me. Yeah, and then you'll pay me. I'm like, no, let's put this back in its box. It's not what you want to do. Like, so let's put it away. But sometimes it is when I go back over, I'm the one going, this is not, no, let's put this away. Like, let me take this off you because I don't think this is fun. <laughs> what do you do for losing components and stuff? Like, I mean, do you take risk out and lose all the all the soldiers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I have to say I've had hardly any bits lost, properly lost touch wood. <laughs> I've had a couple of games that I've had to replace because of lost bits. Mm. Generally, people are really careful. They pack away really carefully. Um, I usually do, if I've had a busy event where I feel like I haven't kept on top of things, mm. I'll have a little sweet round. I'll put my torch on and just like go round under every table and mm. just check there's nothing on the floor, basically. And yeah, people tend to be really respectful and really careful of games. Yeah. In all the time I've been doing it, I think I've had two games stolen Yeah. in the whole time. 
and I've had one game defaced. Oh. And that's that's it. But that's, that's yeah, bad, yeah, no, really. Overall, yeah. And the one that got defaced is a shocking tale because that was that was at a women's <laughs> institute event. <gasps> I know. So horrible. What did they deface? Well, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I do know whether I should tell this story, but I'm going to. Um, so there's a game called Colour Brain. Yeah. By Big Potato Games, and it's a quiz game, and all of the answers are a colour, mm. right? And you've got these cards, and each card is just a colour. That's mm. all it is. So you ask me a question, and you might say, what colour is the Swedish flag? Mm. If I think it's blue, I put blue face down in front of mm. me. If I think it's blue and yellow, I put blue and yellow down in front of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the game. What the cards don't say is how many colours the answer is. Mm. But I think that's part of the question, isn't it? Because mm. if I say to you what colour is the Swedish flag and you think it's blue, mm. then you're wrong, aren't you? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not... a blue sheet. <laughs> yeah, then, then that's wrong. Right? Yeah. They, some of the ladies felt very strongly that that was very unclear and that it should say on the card how many colours were required in the answer. I said, oh, yeah, it's a bit tricky because it's a little bit, but I said, I suppose it's kind of, that's kind of testing your knowledge as well. Yeah. You either know how many colours and therefore you know the answer mm. or you don't and therefore you don't know the answer so mm. you get it wrong, mm. right? They felt that was, that was not the case. So on the cards, they wrote... In brackets, in pen, how many colours you needed? <laughs> and about and about fifteen of the cards. I could not believe I could not believe it. And some bookings, don't get me wrong, some bookings when I get home, I have a little look through the games that have been out and check that they're all right. Oh, yeah. Because if people have been a bit drunk or a bit Yeah. Well, I'm gonna have to check that's actually all there. Yeah, yeah. It's been ripped or ruined, you yeah. know. And like I say, so far. No one's destroyed anything apart from them. And I didn't check it straight away. Yeah. I got to another event on the front. So it, it came out of the box from that <laughs> event, came out of the bag, went on the shelf, and then went back in a bag on the Friday. So mm. That was the Wednesday. It went back in a bag on the Friday. Friday evening, someone gets it out. And they were like, somebody's written on these cards. <laughs> I was like, what? And they were like, it wasn't us. It wasn't us. <laughs> I was like, I know it wasn't you. I said, and what's more, I know who it was. I was absolutely horrified because it's just not what you'd expect, is it? But yeah, so there you go. Middle age, wouldn't you? They they put on the impression of being all nice, but you know, they're like determined and will will stand no quarter. Yeah, exactly. Well, this game has been designed wrong. Let me fix it for you. I would argue they knew what they were doing when they designed that game. No, no clearly, clearly wrong. wrong. Clearly wrong. wrong. <laughs> should check through all my rule books if they've made any additions in there. Should I cross bits out? Been through the monopoly one. They should be doing the, the rules for everything, shouldn't they? This is wrong. <laughs> designed badly. As sanctioned by. <laughs> 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 like put out alternative guidelines to the FA of like these are the new rules of football. <laughs> I watched one of your little games. I was very unimpressed. <laughs> Someone very could get confusing. hurt. <laughs> I've changed this rule. <laughs> there was Sorry. no social distancing. <laughs> Sorry to the WI. 
sorry, that's not the whole WI. That was one group of ladies at one WI. <laughs> okay, uh, so we've done COVID and stuff. I'll do the UBI question mm. just because I think it'd be interesting to see your answer on this. So if you were getting a universal basic income, if there was one being paid out, like maybe you're in a pilot scheme, maybe it's global, maybe it's national, but you're getting enough to kind of cover your basic needs. Mm. Would you still run the business? Uh, would you still work as much? Would you do something else as well? Like, do you think it would change, change things for you? No, no, I don't think it would. I think that would be fairer, wouldn't it? Like, I think things would be fairer. Mm. I tried to be fair with my pricing. I had a conversation with someone this morning and gave them a bracket of pricing, basically, because I was like, I don't know what you can afford. Like, if I'm working with a charity or, um, you know, kind of not-for-profit, then I try and be flexible with what mm -hmm. I charge. I've got quite a history of people overpaying me. I've <laughs> got quite a history of people going, so it's however much I've said for whatever yeah. it is. And they go, so for that, just can I just be clear what you're actually doing for that? <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, God, I've gone too high. Oh, God, I've gone too high. And they go, um, so right, you're going to, so you'll be there before that, won't you, to set up the event? And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll be there like half an hour before. Mm. And they're like, and then you have to take down at the end. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And obviously, I always say to people, I'm quite flexible about the ending of events. Because mm. you can say, oh, this ends at 11 p.m. But I don't. Yeah, but if someone's still playing, pack things away be like yeah. can I finish now put everything in the box you know what I mean I say to people if they you know if they pick up a game at quarter to 11 and my event ends at 11 I'll say oh you're probably not gonna have time to finish that yeah do you want, do you want a quick game yes um but generally I just let people finish and if it yeah. means that I stay till half 11 or quarter to 12 it's no big whoop is it do you know what I mean I'd rather people had a nice time and finish the game properly mm. um but yes, yeah, so I was speaking to this person. They were like, and so you do bring the games, don't you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I bring all the games. And I teach them and recommend them and went through what I do. And then I was like, and obviously, you know, I publicize the event and do some social media and mm. all of this. And basically at the end of the conversation, I went, yeah, I think that's too cheap. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, ah, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Well, feel free to pay me more than that. Mm. Like I'm just rubbish at pricing. Mm. See, for me, universal basic income would get rid of all that. Like, yeah, you, you know, could just have people along, but you would still want, I mean, like if you were getting that and someone said, yeah, say you had to do two weddings in a week, you would want pain. Do you know what I mean? You'd be mm. like, I'm not, I'm not just going to do that twice in a week. Like I'll do once in a week for free, but not, you know, especially if you have to travel as well. But if you know, the universal basic income was was like your wage yeah i mean it's kind of enough for you to live off but you would probably want you know more for extra things i think right yeah i don't know how it would work really hmm. well i mean that's kind of the point of the question of like mm. to see how people imagine it would work and like yeah, i would imagine i'm probably a bit socialist i was kind of thinking that if everybody was on universal basic income mm. yeah 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 and everybody would be on it yeah. And then they wouldn't be paying extra for things, would they? Well, in an ideal world, people I would. Think. I think people would still be working. You know, there'd be a lot less. And the ideal is supposedly that people will be doing a lot less, um, like you know, socially useless labour stuff that 
mm. um, you know, kind of was taken out, for example, by the pandemic of like, well, we don't need you for this, yeah. <laughs> these roles. So, but, you know, there'd still be stuff that necessarily needed to be done. There'd still be people who want who wanted to be experts or have expertise in particular fields like engineers yeah. and doctors and so on. And people would still want to buy stuff and have nice stuff and have differentiated stuff from other people. So you would still need a level of production. So yeah, stuff would be going on. So yeah. And other people would in that case, I'd probably just charge for things like say like weddings or things that are like extra things. Yeah, that are gonna make you put a lot of effort in. Well, and also that are not like not necessarily dependent on my effort, because if it it would mean that I could do things for like charities mm. without charging, even if that was a lot of effort or an inconvenient time. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like it would, it would free me up, wouldn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I, I also so. think about pay as you feel, and I always think if that, if that worked, like if everybody paid what they could afford for things. Mm. But the I tendency is to kind of go away and, and have it for free, isn't it? But you, what you need with the pay as you feel is you need like a kind of, I think you need like a guilt incentive, like this money's going towards something or. Yeah. Or like a sliding scale, like a suggested payment. Yeah. Like you earn this much, it's suggested that you pay this much for the yeah. thing. I just, I don't know. I know it would never work, but in an ideal world, it would be lovely if everybody paid honestly what they could afford for things yeah and then there would just be more money moving around yeah yeah i mean and then if you go into differentiated payments then that's like more admin for you Mm. yeah like all right we've got all these tiers and you're buying at this and i mean it's not much but you know if you're doing that at scale it mounts up yeah but i guess that is kind of what i do anyway a differentiated thing because Mm. i make a kind of judgment on the you know is this a big yeah yeah, yeah. lots of money is this a treat like a wedding like so this is an extra thing that you're having that's that so you've obviously got a little bit of money yeah sort of like what's their budget and what's my cost yeah yeah and again what can i like if they were having a fantastic venue i might think oh well obviously i can put a little bit of extra on there because that's they can afford that and they're happy to pay it yeah um, and I always, it's always a discussion really as well for me. Like, you know, if, if you're happy to pay that and you're, you're happy with that, then, then that's great. Mm. And if you feel that's a lot, then we can chat about it, you know, and then like say, and then down to like charities and things. And I always try, my aim has always been to do as many free events as possible. So to get mm. the venue to pay me. Mm. And again, that varies on the venue. Some venues are on my old rate. Because my money, I've put things up over time mm. as I've become more established. And some venues, you know, are new or smaller, of less capacity. Mm. You know, if you know you're only going to get 10 people in the room, <laughs> I can't charge the same as if I can say, well, we can get 30 people in. Mm. You, you know, that's not, that's the sliding scale as well then, isn't it? Of like, how much money are they going to make on the event? Mm. And I can have a share of that money, basically. Mm. yeah and then keep it free for people turning up yeah 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 and the other thing i've done recently is i raised some money over christmas because i've been working with the welcoming community center yeah 
And um, so I raised quite a lot of money, actually. Well, people donated, people were brilliant. So I raised £840, which has meant that we could put on four uh, Saturday events with food included. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get like a hot meal and the board games. And we're doing those um, once a month up there. Mm-hmm. So that's been really nice. And so going forward, what I've done is I've... Um, I've set up on my Kofi account because that seems the best way of doing it. They've got a bit like the Patreon tiers. Yep. You can you can donate like a pound a month. And every time I get up to 60 pounds, I'm hoping eventually I can get 60 pounds a month. But every time I get up to 60, I'll do a free event for a charity so they don't have to pay me. Yeah. Basically. But I thought that would be a nice thing to do because then I can do those events for free without actually not getting paid anything. Yeah. You swim. Yeah. So it's, it's like a crowdsourced fundraising. Yeah. On a kind of regular basis. Mm, yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. A good idea. That's a good way of doing it. I think so. Yeah. Because I think if people were so generous to that other one. And, mm. you know, if I'm already on £20 a month, mm. so I only need like 40 people to do a pound a month. Yeah. I've done it. You yeah. Know? And like I said, if it goes over that, then each time those incremental bits reach £60, I'll just do an extra booking somewhere. Yeah. You know, and that way I'm, I'm reaching those people who are maybe socially isolated or, you know, would really benefit from. Mm. I mean, like uh, listening to you, I'm thinking of lo- like loads of content marketing stuff that you could do and loads of like, loads more, uh, loads more kind of online stuff that you could do from the things that you're doing already but then it's it's all more work isn't it and it's like yeah. what do you want to work on what you know what what are the parts of the job that you find enjoyable and it's 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 facilitating the games and teaching people games by the sound yeah. of it yeah. yeah well and and also, I'm finding the games and testing them out yeah yeah that makes <laughs> it that makes good but I do I really like the events where people are brave and come on their own mm. and I feel like Maybe I've made a little bit of a difference. Maybe that person's had a nice evening and actually they would have just stayed at home on their own. Yeah, you Maybe they've chatted to different people. and You could do like matchmaker nights. You could do like, <laughs> you, you know, you sort of like a, well, like a sort of Tinder, but with board games. It was like, <laughs> you, we'll, we'll take a bunch of people, we'll match you up and you play games together and then see how you get on. Yeah. <laughs> you could do all sorts with this, can't you? Could you could, but like you say, it's time, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah, and I'm, I do enjoy doing the editing and the rule book writing. Actually, yeah, that I enjoy. I think it uses my English skills as well. Yeah. I do enjoy that. I mean, have you thought of um, like I saw a few years back? There was a really good comic. It was this guy doing a comic saying like comics are really good for educating people and a really good way of breaking down ideas making them accessible they're really good for literacy because people with low reading skills can take them in and like improve their reading skills and they're not as intimidated by them so there's all these sort of benefits have you thought of doing i suppose what i'm asking is when you know with your social media stuff were you doing it like graphics of rules for games and things like how how did you do that so i did um I did, um, I, I'm not sure really. Um, so basically you, you could do like me, a pictorial version of how to do, you know, how to play Monopoly, like panel version or something. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, the way I've been working on rules at the moment is people have approached me and asked mm. me to like edit or proofread or work with them on their rule books for new games that are not out mm. yet. So that's that's mainly what I've been doing because that really does use my kind of literacy and teaching and mm. all those sorts of skills. So no, really, I've never thought of looking at games that have existing rule books and doing anything with those really. Yeah, because, um, I mean, like you say, in terms of accessibility and so on, like the old rules and how they're written, and I suppose they'll their marketing departments will probably reviewed most of these by now. But I think if they've yeah. been reissued, they've been reviewed. Yeah. yeah, I think, and there's a definite movement towards using you or they in, yeah. in rule books, which is really good to see. That's yeah. that's been much better. There's still it. pockets, but see, still pockets of resistance to that. I periodically tweet, you know. There is no excuse for using he, him in your rule books anymore. Yeah. Sort it out. Yeah. And you always get someone who goes, oh, there's a plural. So, <laughs> I, can't even, I can't even bother explaining to you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Just going to have to get over that, aren't you? <laughs> have you ever um, created your own board games? Uh, I did create a game actually. Yeah, yeah I um, I was kind of enlisted, commissioned, whatever, to create a game for a company, a charity in Birmingham, mm. um, and it teaches you about social prescribing. Okay. So it's a game where you um, you practice social prescribing. You mm. know, like recommending different um, support agencies for different people with different needs. Mm. And that was that was really good, mm. and uh, we've they've used that for training, um, and obviously they've got that game, so they can use it over and over again for training. And I've done it in such a way that you can update it and change it, and you can use it in a variety of ways. Mm. Um, and I did try and market that a little bit to other companies who do social prescribing, but I just. Like you say, there's so so much stuff and so little mm. time that that kind of got a bit left by the wayside, really. Mm. But I think, you know, having a board game that's made bespoke for your company that mm. trains them in a certain thing is mm. a really, really good tool. And like over lockdown, uh, the charity had taken on some new stuff. So they asked me to, because when I had the game made, because it was my first one, I got two mm. copies made. So I've kept a copy to show people what I can cool. do. If anybody was interested in getting one made, I can show mm. them that example. So, but because I had kept one here, they were able to ask me to run a Zoom session. Mm. So I ran a Zoom session with their new staff and facilitated the training, mm-hmm. which was really interesting. Because mm. although it's not my area of expertise, social prescribing, because I can teach and because I had the game, mm. I was, we were able to get some really useful training done there. Mm. It was really, then I got really good feedback from it. They found it really useful. So yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. And I think games are good for training because you can find <laughs> out with things and practice things, can't you? And, yeah. And you're being competitive. Yeah. So there's a, like, there's an, that personal incentive to internalize bits of rules of like, ah, but this rule means you can't do that because. Yeah. Hey, so you remember things because of how things worked or, or, a, you know, it's like seeing rules in effect 
which is kind of what you're trying to do with a lot of training of like, what happens when this happens? Okay, well, when that happens, this means this has to happen or this has to happen or this can't happen. Yeah. So all of those kind of scenarios. And also, so this one was cooperative. Mm. So it was also about pooling knowledge. Mm. So you'd get a client with a difficulty and then the idea is I had a list of possible, they sent me a list of possible agencies they were working with. Mm. And so if they had nothing, I could suggest some, but they would suggest some. And sometimes what a person say, well, I've worked with this agency and they were really good with this. Mm. And someone would be like, oh, who's that? And they'd write it down because they'd not worked with that agency. So yeah. it was a really good way of sharing knowledge, but using fictional cases. Yeah. And so because they were fictional as well, sometimes you'd get like an absolute stacking up of dreadful events that had happened yeah. to this, this fictional person. And they would need like really complex levels of care and support that yeah. you might not have come across yet yeah. in, in real life. But it's just it's just good to kind of play with those ideas. Yeah. And well, it's because if you, you know, there isn't it, it doesn't matter if you get it wrong. If you say, well, I'd refer them to this. Yeah. Because it's not a real person. Yeah. It removes that thing of, oh God, no, don't refer them to them. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know what I mean? It's like, oh no, no, you want this one. Or it, it was, it was good. It was well, good. it's like scenario planning, isn't it? Mm -hmm. it it's a yeah. way of doing scenario planning, like not quite in real time, but a way of like practically working those out. Yeah. So not quite a role play, but. Yeah, more and 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 a way of generating those kind of situations for you to kind of work out and yeah, really good. Yeah, really good training tool. I think. Yeah. So that was good. Yeah, but that's the only game I've made. Mm, cool. You don't um, you don't have it to hand, do you? It's not on your shelf. No, it isn't yeah, on the okay. shelf. It's in the study. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was wondering if you shelf. had any like box art design for it or anything. Oh, I did. I did design. Yeah. I designed all the cards. I mean, I'm not too bad at art. Like, <laughs> it was a, one of the squares you can land on was recycling bin, which was where, um, was it recycling? I can't remember now. Where basically the government had brought in some more new legislation. So you have to go back. <laughs> go back. <laughs> government bringing new legislation, you have to take time out to read that. <laughs> yes. Again, <laughs> tell him off to cope with it <laughs> for the mental health day because you're now having a complete breakdown. <laughs> Everything is on fire. <laughs> uh, okay, so speaking of everything on fire, I'm going to do my final two questions. So I'm going to do Brexit and climate change. I don't think that these will really affect you majorly work wise, but we'll see. Um, so we'll start with climate change. What can you do or what do you do in your work that can kind of like address the issues with climate change or, you know, like, do you do anything to reduce your impact? Is it a concern or is it not something that you feel you can be concerned about? Um, it is a concern. It definitely mm -hmm. is a concern. I think um, with board games, there is a tendency to have a lot of plastic. You know, there is a lot of plastic in board games, a lot of shrink wrap, a lot of unnecessary shrink wrap. And there's definite movement towards, I played a game on Sunday that was, um, that was just, uh, sorry, my husband <laughs> brought me cups of tea. Um, 
Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I played a game on Sunday that it, it said on it, no plastic on the front. Yeah. And it was all cardboard packaging, mm-hmm. which is good, you know. Um, and there is a definite movement towards that, I think. Mm. In terms of personal, you know, I'm doing the same as everyone. I think, you know, I'm trying to use less, trying to be more mindful. There's a really good shop in Horsfifth that's all, uh, it's called Zero Muda. And that's like a refill shop. Yeah. And we're using them more and more. I'm trying to be a bit more mindful about what I'm buying in plastic and, and what, you know, what can be reused. Mm. Um, yeah. How do you transport? Is it all just like bung everything in your car or do you, are you taking a van or? Uh, so I've got a car that's like a little van sized car. Mm. Um, so I, yeah, I chuck everything in my bags for life. Mm. Uh, and then they're definitely getting a good workout. I actually wore one out the other day. So I was like, <laughs> my goodness, no, that could happen. <laughs> it, was a, it was a short life. It was a like four-year life, but I suppose that's, that's something. But yeah, it's, yeah, I think the thing that bothers me a lot about climate change is this kind of, I feel like the government are very cleverly managed to kind of get us to fixate on things like cotton wool buds. Yeah. You know, so we're all buying cotton wool buds that haven't got any plastic in anymore, which is great, you know, and that that is good and it does make a difference. But, you know, even if all of us never use cotton wool buds with plastic in again, Mm. it's not going to solve the blooming crisis, is it? Well, it's it's not, it's not the buying, well, it it either is or isn't the buying of the cotton wool buds that's the problem. If it is the buying of the cotton wool buds, then the cotton wool bud buying has to stop. If it isn't the fault of the buying of the cotton wool buds, then Mm. the design of the cotton wool buds that makes them be litter and be litter for that long is what needs to change. That's what needed to change decades ago and should be changed immediately. Yeah. But I think this, what I'm trying to say is there's been a lot of push of personal individual responsibility. responsibility. And while I think that's a good thing and we do have to be individually mindful about what plastic we're using and we do need to each reduce our footprints, Mm. you've still got politics. We're not making the plastic. Taking a private jab. Yeah. Meetings. Yeah. You know, and I think what about some kind of collective responsibility Mm. for companies and well, all billionaires going into uh, space. Yeah, yeah, for a bit of a jolly. Oh, I went into space. Oh, yeah, but we're all responsible for clearing up the ocean and stuff, but you're going to, you know, go off in and a rocket. And this is what I mean. It sometimes makes our small efforts seem quite frustrating in a yeah. way. That, you know, I'm saying I'm trying to shop at a refill shop. Yeah. You know, and that's great, and that does make a difference. But then at the same time, that's massively offset by people doing silly things at the yeah. top, and it's yeah. frustrating, I think. Well, and a bit unfair because it puts extra yeah. pressure on us, you know, to spend more money or t- take more time mm. about your shopping and and take you know, on more time stress. You haven't got you know, like take the glass to the recycling because mm. Leeds doesn't have a glass pickup, mm. so I have to then drive that to the recycling, which I do. Mm. But that's another task that I have to do. And my life is very, very full. And don't get me wrong, I'll do it. But you just think that it's just a bit wrong. Yeah. The, the emphasis yeah. is wrong, I think, is what I'm yeah. trying to say. Yeah. Just, and like, you know, and I feel for small businesses, you know, who are trying, they're trying. Right. Yeah. 
And it's not like you have the ability to afford to do any of that. I mean, like the market disciplines you of just like, well, if you want to make any money, if you want to survive, if you want to stay alive, you just have to do whatever you can to cut whatever corners you can. Yeah. Like, you know, to, to, to deliver your service at a rate that you can make a profit margin on. Yeah. Well, unlike in board games, you know, there's a real push for packaging to be less plastic, mm. which is which is fine, but mm. that's resulting in more damaged boxes. Mm. Now, if I order a game and it's a present and it comes in the post and it comes in a cardboard box with cardboard packaging that can be recycled or reused, mm. but the box is damaged, I'm going to return that box, aren't I? Because I want a present that looks mm. nice. Mm. So then that's more stuff, more cardboard. And I know it's recyclable, but it's still more stuff. And it's a loss at their end, isn't it? Because they're not going to be able to sell that at full price if they bother selling it at all. Mm. And like I say, the smaller companies, you can see why they might think, I'm just going to use plastic bubble wrap in the packaging because I can't afford Mm. these games to arrive damaged. Mm. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. Mm. It almost feels a little bit like the government don't really care. They didn't know better. That can't be the case. I might think. Yeah, they didn't really care. Well, they're detached and don't know what's going on and don't give a damn anyway. No. It feels a little bit like (laughs) that some days. Can't be that. Can't be that, though. It can't be that. No. No. (laughs) So um, are there any board games on climate change? Have you got any climate change board games or anything Um, like that? I haven't, but there are some. There are some. I can't think of stuff in my head now. I've got a really nice one called Photosynthesis, which Ooh. is about growing trees, which is really nice. Yeah. And that's by Blue Orange Games. And they were doing a thing where they were they were planting trees mm. for, to replace the kind of carbon and the stuff they were using. And they're very good on climate stuff, Blue Orange, but they're a relatively biggish company, I think. Yeah, and then it has a tendency to kind of like people have to do People who are trying to be sustainable, it then becomes artisan kind of stuff, you know, and then it has to be more expensive, you know, and then it becomes all bougie because it's like artisan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like... To be fair, this game was was quite competitively priced. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. can't remember how much it was, but it wasn't ridiculous. But they, that's the kind of way you, you pushed, isn't it? It's like, oh, well, I suppose if I'm going to do this and make it like cool and groovy, I need to do it kind of bespoke or boutique or like make it a little artisan you know like it needs to have some frills on it so i can charge a bit more and make it profitable and Mm. it's difficult yeah yeah it is for sure yeah um so we'll move from that on to brexit quickly uh i I mean has that has that affected your your business at all i mean like if it hasn't it hasn't but i say it hasn't I think I think things are shifting in prices. Mm. Um, I think board games are becoming more expensive. Mm. I think um, there's a problem with imports. I mean, are they like because obviously Waddington's used to be based in Leeds. Well, a version yeah. of Waddington's. Yeah. Um, like, um, are the games where do you know where they're made? Like, do you, do they have to? Go um, to well, China. A lot of games are made in yeah. China. But there were all sorts of issues getting them. There's been all sorts of shipping container issues where shipping containers have become astronomically expensive Mm. because there was a shortage. Mm. Now, they put that down a lot to COVID, but I'm aware that a lot of things are hiding behind that. Mm. You know, this is not all COVID related Mm. and prices are going up. 
And I think the games come through Europe. I think that's part of the problem. Yeah, a lot of the Chinese overland stuff, it comes it comes into Europe. And yeah. From there. yeah, and stuff was just stuck in shipping containers. Like there's um, a lot of games. There's a lot of games that you get that are crowdfunded, mm. you know, on Kickstarter. And there's been massive delays on there, massive delays. And I know that people are still trying to work out what they're doing. Like smaller games companies are still trying to work out what to do about charges and costs of stuff mm. like you know um i can't remember what it was but like it's you know like the cost of like cardboard to print on the cost mm. of actual cards everything's gone up everything has gone up mm. so i think it's just going to become a more expensive hobby which then makes it more expensive it's already a reasonably expensive hobby mm. because there's this kind of i don't know this idea that uh, that you need a lot of board games, you know, and I've got a lot of board mm. games. So I'm very wary of, of commenting on that. Mm. But there is a thing about, you know, you need lots, you need lots of boards. You need to be a proper board gamer. And I think like you don't. And yeah. that's the beauty of board game cafes and things like I'm doing that you, you can go along and you can play different games. You don't have to own them all. You can have quite a small collection and still be a board gamer and enjoy board games. When I first started out, I got, not so much now actually, but I, when I first started out, I got a few sniffy comments about mm. not being a proper board gamer. <laughs> well, you're female as well, aren't you? So Yeah. Really? <laughs> you can't be a real gamer. Not really. I'm not proper because I'm a girl. <laughs> and, um, and because I also have games like Monopoly in my collection, so mm. therefore I'm not a proper gamer. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want you I don't want thanking me any kind of proper thank you. I'm a proper person <laughs> and I'm fine with that. Like, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so I think there's going to be creeping costs is what I think. Yeah, mm. I would agree. Um, so I was going to say there, uh, so what do you think about the idea? So two things. Like firstly, like a library of games. Um, and then secondly, like, could you see them all becoming like sort of ephemeralized of like just turning into, you know, it all just being on tablets and phones and stuff and board games kind of disappear or do you think that the kind of tactile interactions and the immediacy of like a board and having to react, interact over a board, like. Yeah, if you just talk about those kind of areas. Yeah, I think if you if you look at the way board games have grown in the last few years, I think the increase, if I was a fan of doing actual research and graphs, <laughs> I think you would find the rise in board games is parallel to the rise in people using tablets because I think the more people are on their devices and interacting over Zoom and interacting online, the more of that we're forced to do day to day through work. And we are, you know, most people are on their computers all day. And even in school, they're on whiteboards, they're using tablets, mm. you know, or they're remote learning because they're, you know, they're poorly or whatever. And I think that increase has gone alongside the increase in the popularity of board games. Mm. And I think that is entirely down to that people craving that face-to-face, -face, that tactile experience. Mm. And and also that connection with memories for a lot of people, board games are tied up with nostalgia and mm. 
you know, memories of childhood and a time of being maybe a bit more carefree. Mm. And it gives you a kind of break because you, it's absorbing. Yeah, like it keeps your hands occupied as well. Yeah, yeah. Like on Sunday, it's I went to... going on your phone. <laughs> yeah, it does, yeah. On Sunday, I went to a board game cafe on my own, actually, in Oxford, because mm. it was kind of, my daughter had a dance thing, so I was a bit stuck in Oxford mm. for like three hours. And I went to a board game cafe and I played on my own. And I played, you know, I could have just gone on my phone, sat in a cafe and gone on my phone and played on games. But I played with some three different games I played and they were all really absorbing. And in that time, I didn't think of anything other than, oh, what if I put that card? Oh, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> oh, mm, that's literally three yeah. hours. Which a is a much better thing. And then I kind of putting a card down and drawing another card and thinking, oh, <laughs> if I'd known that, I wouldn't have put that. <laughs> All obviously internalized because it was on my own. I didn't want to appear. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, you know, and that experience. And when I watch people at my events, like at Horsworth Brewery the other week, there were three people playing in um, Escape the Curse of the Temple, which is dice rolling and mm. trying to get out in 15 minutes. Right. It's really frenetic. Yeah. And they'd put the theme tune on the mobile phone, actually. So they had the, th the theme is like this spooky music in the back. <laughs> and um, it was just, it's just joyful to listen to and watch. You can hear yeah. people laughing and going, oh, no. And yeah. like, you know, can hear when people get the card they want and the card they didn't want. And <laughs> it's just a, a joyful sound. And I think for that time, those people are in that moment. Yeah. All they care about is escaping that temple or yeah. playing that winning cards or, you know, that's for that moment. Mm. It's good for you, isn't it, to be mm. absorbed. Mm. And I think that, and I know people get absorbed in computer games, don't get me wrong, there's a place for that, isn't there? Mm. But I think I can't see board games going out of fashion. No. And I think there'll always be that nostalgia. It'll just be different, won't it? If we look at the games kids are playing now, like, my friend would say, we were talking about Out Fox the other day, which is a game for like six, seven-year-olds, that sort of age. And that'll be their version of Connect Four or Stay Alive, won't it? Yeah. When they're like 30 and someone gets out, see, they see Out Fox on a shelf, they'll be like, oh, I used to play that when I was little. <laughs> and it's that nice connection, isn't it, with play and, yeah. And as for Board Games Library, that would be amazing because then yeah. that really would be accessible if there was a section in Leeds Library that was mm. board games. That would be amazing. Or even in, Let's do know, that top. in one of the stores, like if they had well, the space. You know, like, um, well, I mean, so you could do a board game cafe in, in, a, in a shop, you know, like mm. if you were selling the games as well, I think that would yeah. be quite... Um, a bit like all of us used to do the, the cafe indoors. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be nice. That would be a nice thing to do. I, actually, one of the jobs I dreamed of doing, going back to dream jobs, when I was a teacher, I always thought what I'd really like to do is drive the library bus. <laughs> that must be a great job. You drive your little bus around. You pull up. People get on and borrow books. You can chat to them about what they've read. Chat to them about what they're going to read next. Yeah, you see the same people, wouldn't you? I yeah. bet there'd be loads of elderly folk and people with young children. Mm. I just thought that'd be lovely. Mm. So yeah. if I could drive like a library bus, but it was a library of board games, that would be like my perfect job. 
can't remember the last time I saw the library bus, but yeah, that, that bet, that's I quite popular anymore. Um, but a lot of people like that is the kind of, it, it's like, it's sort of a more exciting librarian, isn't it? Cause you go, you're going out and about, you're driving yeah. the library around. Yeah. Little sort of bookshop on wheels. And, and it'd be like your own little library, wouldn't it? Like, <laughs> I mean, you'd be able to use what stock, yeah, there'd be no one. I, I think it appeals to me because I'd be on my own and no one would be able to come in and interfere with what I was doing. I'd be like, don't touch that, that goes there. Don't put them back, leave them on the shelf. <laughs> leave them on the trolley. <laughs> if you hide a bunch of them and pretend they're always out, because they're like, <laughs> don't, want them be, don't want them going out. It's like in the school library when kids try and put books back on the shelf and the librarian was always like, leave them on the trolley. And you could tell she was thinking, God, I'll never find that book again if you put it back where you think it goes in the alphabet. <laughs> do, you, do you have any questions? I'll also get you to, um, well, we'll do this first. Do you have any questions, anything to sort of, or anything that you want to talk about before no. we wrap up? Sorry, I've talked your ear off, haven't I? No, 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 this is good. I, I like it when we use up nearly the full session. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that we'll use all of this, but yeah. um, gives me plenty to work with. Yeah. And there's normally a lot of gold in the, the longer ones. Um, <laughs> we talked for long enough. If we talked for like two days, you'll definitely get a good solid 30 okay, solid, of quality solid. content. <laughs> Might take me a week to wade through it all to get it down. <laughs> yeah, so... Have you edited backlog there? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna have to sit down and knuck, I have to knuckle down, hook <laughs> up and knuckle down. Um, <laughs> if you give us, um, so if you want to give us all your socials and the Kofi details, if you don't know them off the top of your head, I'll just put them in the show notes. Um, so I'm. You can sign up to my monthly newsletter. That's at www.cardsordie.com. Um, I'm on all of the socials. Um. In fact, my daughter's just made me do a TikTok. TikTok. Yeah, I, I don't know. We've done it on the basis that she's going to run that social media account. Let's see. <laughs> Keep your eyes peeled there for a regular six-monthly video. So anyway, I want everything. Do you have a contingency plan for a public public relations disaster? <laughs> yeah, it's I... It wasn't me. Should have been. That's why. We need to do one of these apologies that isn't really an apology. I'm very sorry, uh, but it's not my fault. Because that seems to be okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. <laughs> and I can call it making an apology, even though it really isn't technically. Um, so all of my socials are cards or die. So yeah. quite easy to find. So I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and mm. Instagram and newly tiktok <laughs> dreadfully tiktok um and that's it yeah all at cards or die um the one i use most is twitter so if yeah. you want like a quick response or you want to chat to me probably twitter is mm. or facebook they're the two i tend to use the most mm. yeah if you want any kind of response don't message me on tiktok because <laughs> a teenager will see it in about six months time <laughs> <laughs> and you'll probably just get a dancing video as a response. Yeah. So I, I, I haven't been on TikTok, but you know, by us, what I, I gleaned from it is it's just loads of videos of dancing, apparently, is what it seems like. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand what I've been bullied into. I just went, all right. Yeah. Um, do you want to give us the Kofi details as well? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, cards or die as well. That is also cards or die. Yeah. yeah. I don't know the actual page. Like, but if you put go into Kofi mm. and search cards or die, the dog is now growling. It's time to give your attention to someone else. <laughs> that's the message. Like, where is my walk? I will bite your hand until you walk. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to make me want to walk you, though, is it? Really? <laughs> Thank you again to Anne for being my guest. Thanks again to all my guests and thanks to Leeds for being my subject. And also thanks most of all to you for listening. I'm going to close out this week with something I consider to be poetry, something that's always relevant to our reactive, non-forward thinking species. You know how Children of Men seems less like a sci-fi and more and more like a documentary each and every day. Kind of like that. By the way, for my money, Children of Men is the best film that's been made this century. So, going forward, I have had the brainstorm of using the intro and outro to reflect on my work because I'm galaxy-brained, I am. It's taken me three years to think I should talk about work on my podcast about work. What an idiot. Anywho, the world is like an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. And the ride goes up and down and round and round, and it has thrills and chills, and it's very brightly coloured, and it's very loud. And it's fun. For a while. Some people have been on the ride for a long time and they begin to question, is this real or is this just a ride? And other people have remembered and they've come back to us and they've said, hey, don't worry, don't be afraid, ever, because this is just a ride. And we kill those people. Shut him up. We have a lot invested in this ride. Shut him up. Look at my furrows of worry. Look at my big bank account and my family. This has to be real. It's just a ride. But we always kill those good guys who try and tell us that. Ever notices that? And we let the demons run amok. But it doesn't matter, because it's just a ride. And we can change it any time we want. It's only a choice. No effort, no worry, no job, no savings of money. Just a choice, right now, between fear and love. The eyes of fear want you to put bigger locks on your door, buy bigger guns, close yourself off. The eyes of love, instead, see us all as one. Here's what we can do to change the world right now into a better ride. Take all the money we spend on weapons and defence each year and instead spend it feeding, clothing and educating the poor of the world, which it could do many times over, not one human being excluded, and we can explore space together, both inner and outer, forever, in peace. Bill Hicks, 1961-1994 to If you're listening to this, I assume you have some connection to Leeds, like living here or being from here. If you're such a person in Leeds or from Leeds and you haven't done your recording for working hours yet, then don't wait. Email me right now. Right now. Quick, get a pen. Workinghourspod at western-studios.com. Let's arrange some time for us to record your working hours interview. If you fancy being my guest, put guest in the subject of your email and add a short bio and some suggestions of your availability. If you want to be on working hours, we will need a two-hour window in which to record. I can record in your work time or during your downtime. I have been recording interviews over Zoom for over a year, but I can record offline too. You can appear on working hours anonymously, or you can promote yourself and or your company or your brand. Cleaner or owner, what is your experience? How do you feel about work? What do you like and not like? What do you do, Leeds? Be a part of local history, have your voice heard, share your wisdom, give us the inside skinny. 
This is your show, Leeds. It's all about what you make of yourself. Do you know what you're doing? If you do, then come and tell me about it. Come on, even if you don't. Email me right now. Get that pen, workinghourspod at western-studios.com. If you're allowed to, that is. If you're not allowed to, then tell me why not. If you and your business aren't ashamed of what you do, then let's hear about it. What good are you doing the rest of us? Are you socially useful? Am I? Is this? Email me right now. Get that pen. Workinghourspod at western-studios.com. Send me feedback, questions, comments and queries about working hours. What is happening, Leeds? Follow this show on Twitter at Working Hours 3 and on Instagram at Working Hours Pod Leads to find out when episodes are being released or use the hashtag Working Hours Pod to find me on either. Um, I'm also on Facebook, but I hate it there. I'm also on LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash Simon hyphen Treen. Or you can go to my company page, which is uh, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Western hyphen studios. If you want to make a podcast in Leeds, whether it's for a cause, a publicity campaign, a product promotion, and or your passion projects, then get in touch with Western Studios for support, advice, and guidance on anything podcasts. At Western Studios, you can work with a real lawyer who is actually in Leeds that you can actually work with on making podcast content. So don't wade through articles and videos and podcasts about how to make podcasts. Western Studios can just make your podcast with you or even for you. Western Studios can take on your podcast admin, recording, editing, transcription, whatever. Tell me about it. I really want to hear from other failed screenwriters such as myself to look at making your material as audio content. So if you have an old script hanging around and again you are Leeds based then get in touch I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Ditto to performers and actors who might be interested in doing voice work. Got an inkling that you'd like a podcast but you don't know where to start? Then hit me up at makemypodcast at western-studios.com and we'll start making your podcast. The first hour of consultation and pre-production will be free for you, so get in touch and let's have a chat. Save the hassle, save the headache and make your podcast with a Leeds-based in real life podcast producer, me, at Western Studios Leeds. Once again, please let Working Hours get big and strong by joining its Patreon. Support Working Hours by becoming a champion on Patreon for a pound a month. You can also chat to me about the show and God, do I need to find someone to talk to about this. Go to patreon.com forward slash working hours pod right now and sign up, please. Please remember to like, share, follow and subscribe to this show. Every little bit helps. Tell your grand, tell your housekeeper, tell your gardener, tell your parole officer, tell your boss, tell Leeds and I'll see thee next time. Working Hours is presented, edited and recorded by Simon Treen for Western Studios Leeds Limited. The music was The Bees from Chopin's Etudes, which is in the public domain and was taken from museopen.org.